and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where, you know, I thought we'd start around 7 p.m. with a nice red wine, maybe some light apps, you know, maybe a little bacon-wrapped asparagus, some Christine. Sarah, Sarah, I think you misread the title of the episode. Oh, and I'm Emily. What? Uh, oh, you know, I, I was wondering why you wanted to do an episode on hosting dinner parties. beautiful reading. That was a beautiful read. Also, last night, Travis p- pitched the idea of Donner rolls, and it was the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard. You should serve those at a party, but make sure they're like meat pastries of some kind. I was, yeah, I was thinking like some sort of pig in a blanket. <laughs> oh boy, off to a great start in this one. Love the energy we're bringing to this. Oh, Sarah, this episode, um... Hi, guys. It's great to be back. We missed you terribly. As you have come to expect from me, I got too into my first episode back. I, uh, there's just so much information in my head right now, and it was hard to, like, put it in notes because I can't put every single detail about stuff because that's very boring. I read a book, or I, I am in the middle of reading a book. It's not, you know, it's going to be a good episode when Emily wrote, read a book. It's true. Um, so yeah. We're going to talk about the Donner Party. And we're actually going to, like, talk about the Donner... I'm not just going to, like, skip over shit and then get to the part that I know all you little perverts are here for. Because, actually, we don't have a lot of information, like, specifics on that. Like, they didn't give us recipes. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people made it out of that part. Yeah. So I imagine records are scarce. Yeah, it's mostly journals. So yeah, since this is a history topic and a relatively modern one, the details and in-depth analysis that we have for the story are actually crushing in volume. So as much as I'd like to spend a full hour just talking about what foods the members of the Donner Party might have enjoyed before the thing that we're not going to name right now, um, or the backstory of every single member of the very appropriately named Graves family. Oh, no. <laughs> um, we can't do that. So I'm going to do my best to give you guys a timeline, some highlights, and we'll eventually get to the bit that, again, you perverts came here for. Donner Party for Dummies, I think you you mentioned earlier. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go through my sources real quick. The first is the book uh, The Indifferent Stars Above by, ah, what's his name, William James Brown. Um, it is... A beautiful book. It is, like, it's it's a fantastic book. I'm uh, maybe a little over a third of the way through it. Um, But it's just the kind of, like, detail-heavy pioneer nonsense that I love. Uh, He really did his research. You are really selling it, and it's probably going to be first time I, like list as soon as this episode is over well you know me i usually don't read books unless there's a ghost in it um <laughs> and very rarely do i read physical books i'm an audiobook person but mm-hmm. yeah this is great uh, daniel james brown um Dang. it's it's fantastic i also used history.com uh pbs had a really good map of the route that they took which was surprising i love that i love maps can you link me to the le- to the map so i can follow along yes Another history.com article called 10 Things You Should Know About the Donner Party. SFGate, I think it's Stanford's. I'm doing great. I'm doing great I'm reading. I'm familiar these. with that site. I don't know what it's called either. Yeah, that one. 
the the one that does all the articles about the stuff. Anyway, so that Nat Geo morehistory.com and a website called DonnerPartyDiary.com, which is a great fan mm. site. Um, <laughs> no, some some very dedicated um, historian has put together a website that has like little bios on the entire party and uh, diary entries, and it, it's uh, very well put together. It's a good That's resource. Gold, I love that. There's a little map for you. Okay, I love maps. I love maps. The year was 1846. Oh, and feel free to ask whatever questions you have. Um, chances are I probably have the answer somewhere. I need Shelby Foote to narrate this like we're doing a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> the year was 1846. <laughs> and for those of you who are like me and have trouble placing random years, it was about 15 years before the start of the Civil War and four years before California would be made a state. Yes. Uh, so things were getting very crowded in the parts of the United States that had been taken over by European Americans, which at that point was really only as far west as Missouri, as far as like fully settled to our standards uh, land. And there weren't any actual states further west. Texas was kind of going through some shit, but we're not talking yeah, about Texas. Yeah, I was going to say, Minnesota didn't become a state until like 1858. Yeah. So. We've got a ways to go. Um, the West and Southwest was considered a literal free-for-all, and people were taking advantage of that. Um, there was land, resources, alleged opportunities for people who weren't faring as well as they wanted to in the Midwest and the East. And a lot of people with money or power to gain were pushing folks to make the journey West and help establish settlements in California, Oregon, and to some extent, Washington. Territory maps were really weird back then. They don't necessarily line up to where the states are today. Exactly. Uh, the territory of Upper California was a thing at one point, and I think it included parts of Utah. U ne Utah or Nevada? Sorry, I'm ne like looking at a map right now. Otherwise, I wouldn't question I want to say it was Utah because I remember Upper California coming up in discussions about uh, Brigham Young and the Mormons. Oh, okay. Just very far east. <laughs> yes. One thing that we have to take into consideration as we go through the story is that these immigrants had the concept of something called manifest destiny drilled into their heads. <laughs> Emily, I'm going to set a timer. I'm going to give you two minutes to rant. <laughs> okay, so manifest destiny was a phrase that is widely considered a boil on the ass of American history, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, it's a phrase coined in 1845, around the time that Texas was, quote, gaining its independence from Mexico. And the idea is that the United States was destined, by God, apparently, to expand its, quote, dominion and spread democracy and capitalism across the entire North American continent. So the concept drove 19th century territorial, territorial expansion and was used to justify the forced removal of indigenous people from their rightful lands. It also contributed to the Civil War and slavery, but I cannot get into that because Sarah has me on a timer. Go ask your stepdad. Or not. Maybe don't. I, I don't know if your stepdad's the kind of guy you want to talk to about slavery. I'm ending my two minutes. Yes, that was under two minutes. Good job. Okay. <laughs> So so now we all know about Manifest Destiny and how, I don't know, I, I like, it's not in defense of pioneers, because, like, they did some shitty stuff, but, like, I, I get it in a way. I mean, a lot of them were buying into a story that was fed to them. Exactly. That doesn't excuse them, but it does explain it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not an excuse, it's an explanation. Right. Okay. So to summarize, in the spring of 1846... 
There were a lot of people heading from the Midwest to California and Oregon because there were too many fucking Europeans on top of each other. Farming sucked. There was an economic depression that rivaled the Great Depression. And also, some jackasses convinced those people that they needed to come settle the West. Like the aforementioned Lansford Hastings, who is, in my opinion, the actual villain of this story. Uh, Hastings was a lawyer who found himself in California, which was still controlled by Mexico when he arrived in 1843. So after spending some time there... He had the brilliant idea of helping take California away from Mexico and installing himself as, I shit you not, king of the Empire of California. Oh, dear. I'm trying, like, this just has painted a picture of him so succinctly. Yep. That says so much about who he is as a person. Yes, he was undoubtedly inspired by what had been going on in Texas with the revolution, which was a very bloody affair. And also, they called it the Republic of Texas, not the Empire of Texas. So, already, Lansford Hastings, just annoying piece of shit. Just typical man. Yes. So, to set his plan in motion, Hastings wrote a book called The Emigrant's Emigrant's Guide. I'm going to say emigrants a lot in this episode, because that's a more scholarly word for pioneer. Uh, The Emigrant's Guide to Oregon and California, wherein he gave the West, California specifically, a glowing review. Uh, California is a pretty good state. It's nice. Like, just like in terms of natural beauty. (laughs) It's a very beautiful part of the country. Like, yeah, I don't blame people for wanting to see it. So his hope in writing this book was to attract emigrants in such numbers as to force out the Mexicans and spark a bloodless revolution that would claim California for his own. Yeah, he's a fucking moron. Um, And just wait until you hear how he contributed to the death of 48 people. So in his book, Hastings wrote, quote, The most direct path would be to leave the Oregon route about 200 miles east of Fort Hall, thence bearing west-south or west-southwest, yep, to the Salt Lake, and thence continuing down to the Bay of San Francisco. The uh, problem is that at the time of the book's publishing, Hastings had never tried his shortcut. He looked at a map and was like, mm, yes. <sighs> he was unaware of how difficult it would be to, cra- to cross the Wasatch Mountain Range and the salt flats of western Utah, which are still, to this day, very difficult to be in because it's salt flats. Uh, his first attempt of the trip was only from modern-day Salt Lake City to Fort Bridger at the edge of Wyoming, which he did in mild weather, without any time constraints, and without ever attempting (sighs) Uh, to cross the salt desert. So yeah, um, Hastings had never tried his full little shortcut. He just looked at it on a map and been like, yeah, that seems good. Sure. If you go in that direction, you end up where I want you to be, so... I guess. So yeah, so he was going around spreading the word that his route was faster and better than any other. Um, and word of this reached travelers back east. And due to his renown as an author and technically his success in going west, people believed him. We were idiots back then. I mean, I then. guess he made it out there. So sure. But this is exactly why my family got stuck in <laughs> Elliot Cutoff is because some guy showed up to Fort... Uh, Fort Boise and was like, I know a better way. And then he didn't. (laughs) Had he actually ever traveled that route, though? Or did he just make it up to? 
Lansford Hastings? Oh, uh, the, yeah, they're no, that the, the, your family guy. I don't think so. No, he hadn't because he had heard they were building a road and then was like, oh, we'll take that. And then they never got started building oh the road before god. he got there. Oh my god. Men. It's men. Why Why play around with that shit? It's not safe. You, like, you, you, you live in pioneer times. You know how dangerous it is. He was very confident and he really wanted California. <sighs> Lansford Hastings is going to come up again. Um, but while we're here... Uh, Hastings' dream of the Empire of California died when California was conquered by the United States military during the Mexican-American War in 1948. The colonialism was beaten by bigger colonialism. colonialism. <laughs> the more organized colonialism. Um, so Mexico <laughs> ceded California to the United States under the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. So fuck you, Hastings. <laughs> it was for nothing. <laughs> Back to the story about the Donners. Or... Right. Actually, it's a story about the Donners, the Breens, the Reeds, the Graves, the Murphys, the Eddies, several more. Because back in the day, the name of a group of people traveling was determined by the name of the guy that they had elected the leader. So that was Jacob Donner in this case. Jacob or George? Sorry. I think it was George Donner. There's two Donners. Actually, there's like nine Donners, but there were two. I was going to say, I'm sure there's a couple of them. Yeah, I think it was George Donner, actually. Um, so what you may have, may have assumed was that the Donner Party was a family group of, like, 15 people stuck out in the wilderness. Um, in reality, it was 82 people, oh, damn. only 45 of whom would survive the winter of 1846. Oh, damn. Yeah. To be fair, the, the, the snow did not take all of them. Um, there were a couple incidents along the way. So... The group of emigrants that came to be known as the Donner Party didn't start out traveling together. Uh, the Donner Brothers and the Reeds set out from Springfield, Illinois, uh, towards Independence, Missouri, and picked up some groups here and there. And it wasn't until the emigrant train reached the Wasatch Mountains, already on Hastings' little cutoff, um, that the last stragglers, the Graves family, met up with them, completing the Donner Party as we know it. So basically... You'd have your little, like, three wagons and your 18 children, and then you'd meet up another family and, like, their safety in numbers, mm -hmm. and it's easier to do a lot of tasks if you have more people. So you just kind of attached yourself to other families that you may never see again after you reach California. Yeah. But also, I think there was a lot of intermarrying going, because, like, oh, I have an 18-year-old daughter. You have an 18-year-old son? Right. We don't know anybody else. A lot of young folks, not a lot of other people around. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So the Donner brothers, George and Jacob, were considered prosperous, if not elderly farmers, who had no reason to go to California. They were doing so fine. So by elderly, you mean like 43 or... We'll get to it. Um, but having heard the wonders of California, they thought it would be fun to give it a shot. So basically, they were in like their twilight years, and they were like, I could go on one last adventure. That's kind of sweet. I mean, not knowing what happened to them, but, you know, in theory. Yeah. So, eventual party leader George, so it was George Donner, I just wrote Jacob for the fun of it, I guess. Uh, so, George, 60, brought his third wife, Tamsin, 45, and their three children and George's two daughters from a previous marriage. You guys don't have to remember all of these names. I'm not going to list every member, don't worry, because there's so many children. You're not going to quiz me at the end about each of the <laughs> Donner party members and what their deal was? Not this time. Uh, so Jacob Donner, 56, and his wife Elizabeth, 45, brought their five children and Elizabeth's two children from a previous marriage, along with three Teamsters, which I learned yesterday 
is someone who drives a wagon or group of animals. <laughs> now it means a union truck driver. Yes. Uh, the Reed family consisted of James Reed, 46, his 32-year-old wife, Margaret, and their three children. Um, also part of the family was Margaret's daughter from a previous marriage and her mo 75-year-old mother and five servants, which included, I shit you not, a 24-year-old albino man named Bayless Williams, who stayed in the wagon during the day and did chores to the family at night. The Reeds were a wealthy family who had two wagons, at least one of which I have seen described as, quote, two stories high and luxury. It was a nice fucking wagon. It was also a heavy fucking wagon, which, remember that for later. Um, so there was also William and Eleanor Eddy with their two kids, Lavinia Murphy with her five children, two sons-in-law, and three grandchildren. And Lavinia was 37, so three grandchildren just sounds like I can't really wrap my head around. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's, I mean, she's my age. A little older, but basically my age. Yeah, and she was doing this all by herself. She didn't have a husband. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, well, sort of. Um, all right. There was also uh, <laughs> Louis and Philippine Kesseberg and their two kids, um, and an old Belgian man named Hardcoop that was traveling with them that they'd picked up along the way. He's the comic relief. <sighs> his first name wasn't Hardcoop. I don't know what his first name was, but he was a Belgian man. Well, he was Belgian, so they probably didn't record it. Like, you know, that guy. Um, a childless couple named the Wolfingers and their German friends, Augustus Spitzer and Joseph Reinhardt, were there. Uh, William and Amanda Cutchin and their daughter, Franklin and Elizabeth Graves, with their nine children. That's so many. Nine children, one new, brand new son-in-law, um, who had just married their daughter, Sarah, and a single 35-year-old man named Charles Stanton, who was just five foot five, and he just liked to travel. It's like, I'll hop on this wagon train. Sure. I love Charles. I love Charles Stanton. Um, I also forgot to mention a family who's actually very important to the story. So hold, please. Can't believe I forgot them. I'm a monster. How dare you? They're, they're really important to the story. <laughs> um, yes. I, I kind of wish you hadn't noticed and that you just like introduced them like midway through. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, there was also the Breen family, Patrick and Margaret, and their seven children. I mean, I know you had to have a lot of kids to, like, work on the farm, and most of them would die, but... That's actually kind of the idea, is that they had a bunch of kids, and then none of them died. Yeah. <laughs> they were just really good parents, you could say. Or, you know, they got very lucky with sickness, which is usually <laughs> the issue. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I don't know the, the death tolls for anyone else but the graves. I think they had one kid who died. So they had ten, got to keep nine for a while at least. Um, but yeah. So there were also some other single men and teamsters who were along for the uh, ride, and eventually two Miwok uh, Indians who probably shouldn't have joined up when they did. So uh, pick your 45 favorites and hope for the best. <laughs> Chances are you're going to be wrong. I'm rooting for Charles Stanton. No spoilers. Just hold on to that hope. So this whole ordeal started because they left late, all of them. <sighs> this would never happen to me. No. Because no. I have anxiety. I'd be at the wagon and through security two and a half hours early <laughs> with a California pizza kitchen box. <laughs> Maybe that's maybe that's part of why it's just in my 
in my DNA now. They've been yeah. burned once. <laughs> <laughs> That's 100% it. It's ancestral memory. Yeah. Some historical trauma. My family got stuck in a past and now I have anxiety. <laughs> so travel on the California Trail slash Oregon Trail followed a tight schedule, as anyone who's played the game knows. Uh, picking your leaving, like your departure date was very important. Um, emigrants needed to head west late enough in the spring for there to be grass available for the pack animals, but also early enough so they could cross the already rough western mountain passes before the winter. The sweet spot for departure was usually sometime in like mid to late April, with May 1st being pretty much your last chance to leave without potentially getting fucked later on. That like matches up with my experience on the Oregon Trail. Yes, yes, all the experience you have on the Oregon Trail. Yeah, I've done that route thousands of times. <laughs> But for some reason, most of what became the Donner Party didn't leave their jumping-off point at Independence, Missouri until May 12th. Why? Why? Why I don't know. (laughs) They were Uh. the last major pioneer train of 1846, and their late start left them with very little margin for error, of which there would be many. (laughs) So the usual route was, at that point, well-tread, if not still kind of a pain in the ass, because... It was the 1800s, and they right. were wagons. It's, like, it's still hard, yeah. It's still hard, but it it was not difficult. Well-traveled, and, like, people, there's, like, in, not infrastructure. There were ruts to follow, yeah. Yeah, there's not, like, a highway, but there are, like, forts and stuff. So from Independence or St. Joseph, Missouri, uh, there were two kind of jumping-off points, but Independence was the big one. Uh, most people headed west to Nebraska, and then over to Wyoming, and then up into Idaho for a little jog and then back down into Nevada, and ending up eventually in what is now Sacramento. And like I said, it wasn't easy, but it was generally pretty safe. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the natives didn't really enjoy people fucking with their land, and the pioneers had been, like, conditioned to believe that they were all hostile, so it was just a very bad situation. I say, yeah. can't imagine they were treated very well, the no. Native Americans. No, 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 no. Tensions were kind of high. Like, there were there were tribes that that definitely had, I guess, good reputations. Um, but yeah, in general, the pioneers didn't want to fuck with them, mm-hmm. and then they didn't want people on their land, which understandable. All these fucking morons tromping around with their bonnets and their wagon wheels and shit, killing all the buffalo, like killing all literally. the buffalo. Most of the buffalo, like about 99% of the buffalo. That's about par for the course. Um, So what Hastings had proposed in his little little shortcut um, was splitting off just before that little jog into Idaho and instead crossing the Great Salt Desert in Utah before meeting back up with the established trail in Nevada to head over the Sierra Nevada, which is a big-ass mountain, um, into California. He was like, oh, it's flat. It's fine. Yeah, it's sure, a fucking let's go desert. through the desert. Famously hard to travel through. <laughs> like, you don't even have to know the particular desert. It's called a desert. I shit you not, the Mormons chose Salt Lake City as their city because it was an area that no one wanted to fuck with. Yes. Also, just, like, looking at the map, like, I see, like, I understand why they probably went into Idaho, because it looks like Idaho is a lot flatter. Like, yeah, there's probably still some, like, mountains and stuff, but, like, you're not trying to cross the Sierra Nevadas. See, well, you have to cross the Sierra Nevadas anyways. 
It's the Wasatch Mountains that really fucked them up. Okay. Because they were, like, super dry and brushy and craggy and, like, not good for wagons. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the kicker. You're not just, like, walking. You're not climbing a mountain. You are dragging a wagon up it. Like, up to three per family. Yeah. So the trip started out fine. There was a brief delay in late May when James Reed's mother-in-law died of, quote, old age and tuberculosis. And sure, both of those things. Yeah, it was it was probably having tuberculosis at an old age. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was at the same time that the immigrants were trying to build a raft to ford a river that had flooded. And so the whole ordeal took about four days, which was, you know, a while. They had to get moving. Always just take the ferry. Yeah, and the, the old lady kind of knew that she was going to die on the trip anyways. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of like, you guys are heading west. I'm never going to see you again. I'm going to die here alone, so just right. take me with you. Might as well, yeah, just be along for the ride as far as you can get. Also, like, yeah, what's she going to do back home? <laughs> Everyone is left. So other than some trouble with, and I say trouble lightly, the local indigenous people in the form of some light cattle rustling <laughs> and general frontier mishaps like accidental gunfire and an incident with a broken leg, Uh, The trip was easier than expected, and they reached Fort Laramie in Wyoming in a decent enough time, and things were looking good. Uh, Tams and Donner wrote to a friend back in Illinois, quote, Indeed, if I do not experience something far worse than I have yet done, I shall say the trouble is all in getting started. (sighs) Tamsin, you're jinxing it. It would be a beautiful quote if it was from literally anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) So on June 27th, Oh, there's a fun trivia fact in here that I was very excited about. Uh, so on June 27th, the party, which was presently called the Boggs Company. <laughs> uh, That's which a was, great, great name. Just wait. It was named for its leader, Lilburn W. Boggs, a former <laughs> governor of Missouri, who at one point issued an extermination order against the original Mormons that wasn't repealed <gasps> oh. until the 1970s. I remember that guy from the book, the stuff, the under the under the banner of heaven. Uh, yes, thank you. So yeah, they were traveling with Lil Burn Boggs, who he also at one point survived an assassination attempt by said Mormons. Uh, he was shot in the head three times and survived. Oh my god! <laughs> I knew there was an assassination attempt. I somehow missed the shot in the head three times uh-huh. part. Uh, so Lilburn ended up taking the regular route and made it all the way to California to keep being a dick, I assume. Um, anyway, so they arrived at Fort Laramie. <laughs> Someday we'll do a Mormonism episode. It's going to be a no, fucking shit show. <laughs> I, I'm not inviting that kind of energy onto this podcast. So while, while spending a few days at Fort Laramie, James Reed ran into an old friend um, from the Black Hawk Wars named James Kleiman. Uh, who was a an old respected mountaineer, and he had just come by horse from California with one Lansford Hastings by way of Hastings Cutoff. Ah, this bitch. Oh, so he has actually traveled his own. Route he, at, at this, this point, point, he has, but okay. he had not when he suggested it. Right. So James Kleiman had an awful time, and he strongly urged James Reed not to take the cutoff, and James Reed did not listen. My God. I want to reach back across time and space. Just take him by the shoulders and shake him. And I'm sure you're wondering, but why does James Reed's opinion matter if George Donner was the leader, Emily? I don't know. For whatever reason, 
George was technically in charge because people liked him, and I think Reed w- and they thought Reed was kind of a little butt munch. They didn't use those exact <laughs> words, but you know, yeah, whatever the 1850s equivalent of a butt a butt munch was. Yes, um, but he was also one with the most experience in like being out in the wilderness. So George listened to him, and not his wife Tamsin, who was one of the only people to object <laughs> to taking the cutoff. Emily, but she's a woman. A woman. I like George Donner a lot, but I feel like he probably could have listened to his wife more. Uh, Tamsin Donner was a badass. Um, So after celebrating a wild 4th of July at the fort, the wagon train set off again and traveled without any major events until July 19th, when the Boggs Company reached the Little Sandy River in Wyoming, uh, where several other wagon trains were camped. And here, the emigrants... Uh, who had decided to take Hastings' route, formed a new company and elected George Donner as the captain, thus creating the Donner Party, which set off on the morning of July 20th. And unsurprisingly, this is where it starts to get rough. Um, So it's going to be easier to get through this if we do in timeline form. Um, So I'll go into detail when it's necessary, like if there's, I don't know, a murder or something. So July 27th, 1846, the Donner Party arrived at Fort Bridger, which was little more than two cabins owned by a man named Jim Bridger. The party learned that Hastings left the previous week, leading wagons that had already arrived, and left instructions for any later groups to follow him. The Donner Party stayed four days to prepare for the trek ahead. So this is about a week after they left the, um, like, the big group. So they are on their own. They're a week into Hastings' cutoff. July 31st, 1846, James Reed wrote in his journal, quote, Hastings cutoff is said to be a saving of 350 or 400 miles and a better route. The rest of the Californians went the long route, feeling afraid of Hastings cutoff. But Mr. Bridger informs me that it is a fine level road with plenty of water and grass. It is estimated that 700 miles will take us to Captain Sutter's Fort, which we hope to make in seven weeks from this day, end quote. And the kicker here is that Jim Bridger was lying. Yeah, fuck Jim. <laughs> a journalist named Edwin Bryant had ridden ahead and left letters at the fort warning people that the trail ahead would be too difficult for wagons. Since Bridger's fort was off the regular path, he stood to make more money from travelers if he kept passing word along that Hastings' cutoff was easy, thus attracting more people. Not really taking into consideration that those people were also probably going to die. Well, they've already given them his, their money at this point, so who cares? Yeah. God, what a dick. It would have been better for them if they had turned back and lost that week of travel. Right. God. <sighs> Uh, August 6th, 1846, the Donner Party... I'm going to stop reading the year because it's all 1846. Uh, August 6th, the Donner Party stops near the mouth of Echo Canyon on the Weber River, present-day Hennifer, Utah. Sure. Uh, Here, Hastings had left a note for them, warning them that the road ahead was impassable and instructed them to send someone ahead to get directions. James Reed and two others set out following the wagon tracks of Hastings' group. So even Hastings is like... Oh, this ain't good. Ah, shit. Ah, shit. (laughs) August 10th, Reed returns to the wagons. Hastings had accompanied him partway back. They climbed a peak where Hastings pointed out an alternative route before fucking off and leaving Reed to return to the party. Oh my god, he's such a dick. Yeah, I hate him. August 11th, the Donner Party sat out on the new route, but were slowed by the necessity of chopping a path through the brush and trees. The Graves family finally joined them, bringing the number to 87 people in 23 wagons. 
I think I've said like four different numbers for how many people were in the Donner Party, but just know it was 87. The number does keep changing, to be fair. It does keep changing. People come, people leave, people die. Speaking of, August 25th, (laughs) while in the Salt Lake Valley, a teamster or just a guy who was along named Luke Halloran died of tuberculosis. He was buried in a coffin at a fork in the road the following day. About this time, the emigrants found another note from Hastings, I believe shoved into some sagebrush, warning them of a two-day dry drive ahead, meaning no water or grass for the oxen on account of how it's the Great Salt Lake Desert. Exactly, because he engineered his route to go through the desert. A desert. A salt desert, which is worse. Ah, why are you so dumb? If only they had known you could, like, eat cactus. I don't know if there's cactuses in the Salt Lake Desert, though. I don't know. If it's too salty, it might not, like, just be the right conditions for anything to grow. Yeah, I think there's, like, a lot of sagebrush, and yeah, it's not good. Uh, September 3rd, their third day in the desert. The water ran out. God. That night, the reeds' oxen ran off, never to be found, leaving the reeds to gather a few possessions and set out on foot. And a note, people sometimes did hide their wagons to come back to later. I don't know what the success rate was on the recovery of those wagons. I remember in my, like, Dear America Oregon Trail books, like, so many times, like, just, like, an axle would break or something, and you didn't have, like, the shit to fix it. So you just had to take what you carry, and you just walk the rest of the way. Yeah. Uh, September 8th, the emigrants finished their five-day journey, which Hastings said was two, a uh, five-day journey across the 80-mile desert. Five Hast- days. Yes, it was twice as wide as Hastings had said it would be. They lost 36 head of cattle, half of them James Reed's, and four wagons had to be abandoned. Uh, so, worth noting at this juncture, um, bathing was already pretty rare in the pioneer times, but they had just been walking in, in the summer through the Great Salt Lake Desert for five days. That is a stinky, stinky, sad group of people. Uh, September 10th, the Donner Party realized that they didn't have enough food to get them to California, so they sent Charles Stanton and William McCutcheon ahead to Sutter's Fort in Nevada to request more. Sutter's Fort was, like, the last stop you make before California, so it's over the mountains. So, like, the, the, the next fort that they get to is pretty much the end of their journey. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of a little bit fucked at this point. Uh, So September 26th, the party arrived at the Humboldt River where the cutoff met the Standard Trail. The cutoff, uh, sorry, the Standard Trail is 125 miles shorter than Hastings Cutoff with no desert. Oh my god. So it literally... (laughs) The shortcut took them an extra month. That is the worst shortcut I've ever heard of in my entire life. It's not a shortcut. It's, it's a guy who it's... looked at a map and was like, yeah, that seems right. Yeah, sure. And, oh, what a fucking idiot. I hate this guy so much. Yep. So uh, October 5th, oh, while boy. struggling up a sand... Yeah, it's about to get really bad. While struggling up a sandy hill at Iron Point, Nevada, the Reed and Graves teams of oxes got tangled up and a fight broke out between Milt Elliott, uh, one of Reed's teamsters, and a fan favorite, teamster John Snyder, who was driving the Graves wagon. Fan favorite? Yes, everyone loved him. <laughs> of course. Um, James Reed intervened, but got bonked on the head by the like the butt end of a whip by uh, Snyder. Uh, so James Reed retaliated by sna- stabbing Snyder, who died minutes oh, later. Oh, shit. 
Yeah, um, everyone was pretty pissed about that. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about, like, funny pioneer men fights, but like, <laughs> that escalated quickly. Everyone was pretty pissed since Reed was generally disliked and Snyder was, as mentioned, a favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite Louis Kesseberg suggesting they hang Reed, the agreement was that Reed would be banished. Oh, boy. How did that go? Um, he didn't want to go, but uh, on... October 6th, Reed headed out west after his daughter snuck him some crackers and guns for the trip. Oh, so he actually kind of got off easy. Well, they didn't send him with any food, just a horse. So it was kind of like a death sentence, but it also gave Mm -hmm. him an opportunity to maybe not die. And also one of his teamsters named Walter Heron decided to go with him to California. Okay. By October 7th, everyone was walking to lighten the load for their exhausted livestock. Uh, Louis Kesseberg turned Mr. Hardcoop out of his wagon to lighten the load, and nobody could take him in. Uh, Hardcoop was last seen sitting by the side of the road. Oh, he could like, he couldn't walk? Um, he, I think he was just, t- he was tired, he was an old man. Um, oh. Yeah. But at this point, it's literally every man for himself. Like, there's yeah. barely any food, the ox are dying off, and there's still hundreds of miles to go, and that's just kind of what happened. Like, yeah. Like, I, I get it, but I just, that's oh, so, it's sad. so sad. But yeah, like, if you were a woman and your husband died and, like, you didn't have a wagon left, you had to rely on other people, and then if they couldn't take you, then you just kind of got left by the side of the road and hopefully someone else could pick you up. Um, it was rough. Yeah. So that brings us to October 11th-ish. That night, members of the Paiute tribe killed 21 of the Donner Party's oxen. Uh, oh, shortly thanks. thereafter, they stole another 18 and wounded several others. That's grim. <laughs> yes. Uh, some tribes, you know, are just a little more, I guess, violent than others. Uh, that sounds bad. I would say defensive, maybe. I defensive. think probably a good way to put it. Like, Yes, the best defense is a good offense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It is bad. Yeah, that's not good. And then October 13th, uh, since... Most of his cattle had been killed. Wolfinger stopped to cash his wagon. And if you remember, the Wolfingers were a, a married couple with no kids. Oh, yeah. Um, so Wolfinger stopped to cash his wagon. Uh, two men, Joseph Reinhardt and Augustus Spitzer, stayed behind to help him, but returned without him, saying that he had been killed by natives. That's suspicious. Reinhardt later confessed to have killed Wolfinger, uh, probably yeah. to rob him. So, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> tale as old as time. <laughs> do a murder and blame a minority. Um, and also, at this point, everyone was kind of sick of looking at each other's stupid faces, so tensions were pretty high. I, I can't even imagine. Like, I, especially as someone who doesn't like to spend a lot of time around people, just being stuck outdoors with, with the same people. group of people for six months. Yep. Miserable. No, thank you. Um, so... At about October 16th, the party arrived at the Truckee River, which would lead them into the Sierra Nevada. Uh, Their trip is almost over. Yay! They're going to make it, right? (laughs) Yes. Uh, John Breen later recalled of this time, quote, The weather was already very cold and the heavy clouds hanging over the mountains to the west were strong indications of an approaching winter. Some wanted to stop and rest their cattle. Others, in fear of the snow, were in favor of pushing ahead as fast as possible. Yeah, I would probably be in the latter group. Yeah. Again, anxiety. Um, about October 25th, food supplies were almost depleted when Charles Stanton returned from Sutter's <gasps> Fort. Charles! He brought, sev- he brought seven mules. I There's a story about him later, and it's really, really sad, but 
Also, I was kind of high at the time, and I was laughing so hard I was crying. It was it was a fantastic part of the research process. <laughs> this is such a good teaser. Continue. <laughs> Um, so yes, Charles Stanton returned. He brought seven mules loaded with provisions and two indigenous guides named Lewis and Salvador from the Miwok tribe, I believe. Um, plus news that the pass through the Sierras should be open for another month. Um, oh, William, good. Yeah. William McCutcheon, who had accompanied him to California, had fallen ill and stayed at the fort. Don't worry, he's fine. And I, I mean that. Um, October 28th, James Reed arrived at Sutter's Fort. Yeah, he lived. He lived. I don't know if his teamster lived, but James Reed lived. October 30th, William Foster accidentally shot his brother-in-law, William Pike, who died shortly after. Uh, about this time, Reed and McCutcheon got horses and supplies from uh, the Sutter's Fort, whatever it's called. I'm lost in my own weeds at this point. They got some some shit and they went back up for their families, but it snowed and they couldn't continue. So they hid the provisions and returned to the fort. Oh, dear. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, it'll be... F- I know how the story ends, and still, I'm like, oh, good. They, they're they bringing food. They'll be fine. October 31st, the front axle of George Donner's wagon broke. While he was making a new one, he oh. cut his hand very badly. Oh, George no. and Jacob's group lagged behind while the rest of the party moved on. So the Donners are at the back of the group at this point. God. Like, it it kind of sucks that their name is the one that's so deeply yeah. attached to this story i i was gonna say very little of this is their fault but that's not true he did choose to go this way they all uh, made well no <laughs> the men made a decision and everyone else had to deal with it yeah god that's just like it feels like i'm sure almost every wagon train had this to some degree but it really does feel like literally everything that could go wrong has gone wrong and will go wrong <laughs> Yes. So despite the Hastings cutoff debacle, most of the Donner Party still managed to reach the slopes of the Sierra Nevada by early November. Only 100 miles remained of the trip. All through the snow. But before the pioneers had a chance to drive their wagons through the mountains, an early blizzard covered the Sierras and up to five feet of snow overnight. Five feet of snow. (sighs) Mountain passes that were... Okay, just a day earlier, we're now completely fucked, forcing the Donner Party to retreat to nearby Truckee Lake to wait out the winter. They had traveled 2,500 miles and were only 150 miles from Sutter's Fort at this point. Oh my god. I know, that's the most infuriating part (laughs) of it. It's just so... uh, and especially, like, you think, like, the two weeks that they had delayed in leaving, and then, like, all the fucking time they spent on the stupid... The extra month that they spent. Oh, my God. It's like, hindsight is twenty twenty, but you guys made so many bad decisions. Uh, the Breens, Eddies, and Kessebergs made it up a, quote, massive, nearly vertical thousand-foot slope to Truckee Lake, now known as Donner Lake, <laughs> three miles from the mountain's summit. Near the lake, the Breen family found an abandoned cabin, against which Lewis Kesselberg built a lean-to. About 200 yards away, William Eddy and William Foster built a cabin against a boulder for the Eddies, Fosters, and Murphys, and Pikes. God, so many people. Uh, the Graves and Reed families found a double cabin about a half mile away from the others, and about six miles back on Alder Creek, the two Donner families set up two tents, and the single men with them built shelters out of brush. Uh, none of this solved the part where they wouldn't have enough food for the winter, but at least they were out of the snow. Yay! Probably 
Probably doesn't matter that the human body uses more calories when it's cold. Yeah, I was going to say, even without snow, uh, I'm assuming the weather is uh, bad. It's cold. It's real fucking cold. Um, So of the 60 at Truckee Lake, 19 were men uh, over the age of 18, 12 were women, and 29 were children. Oh, no. Six of whom were toddlers or younger. Oh, Christ. Half of the Donner Party was children. I mean, of course, because they all had nine children. Yeah. Over the next few weeks, some attempts were made to cross the pass, but nothing seemed to work. And these attempts were uh, led up by Franklin Graves, who is one of my favorite people. And it's like, he doesn't have a lot of like big moments, but he seems mm-hmm. like a really like steadfast yeah, pioneer father. Consistently, yeah. Uh, like problem solver. Right. Um, so yeah, nothing seemed to work. And another snowstorm hit and dumped snow on the party for a full week, killing what remained of the livestock and burying it under the snow. Christ. We know all about the weather thanks to Patrick Breen, who kept a daily journal that is admittedly way more weather-centric and boring than I had hoped when I read the whole fucking thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, at that point, like, what else is there to talk about? I feel like the weather is probably a big part of, like, your day-to-day thoughts. (laughs) He did what he could, but it was just... I had this, like, disassociative moment where I'm, like, in the bath with a pine tree candle. Thank you, Sadie. Uh, lit <laughs> and like a strawberry bath bomb and a glass of wine that I put uh, THC tincture in, like reading about the weather at Truckee Lake for 45 <laughs> minutes. What an exciting life you lead. I'm like, this is the future that these people died for. <laughs> Patrick Breen is fucking st- freezing his ass off in a cabin and i'm here drinking weed wine wishing i was watching <laughs> x files in the bath instead of reading about the weather oh man they never lived to see the x files and that's the real shame here so to put things lightly things sucked at trucky lake more like sucky lake am i right <laughs> I'm going to jail. Um, (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, it was too many people crammed into dirty cabins with leaking roofs, and the snow made it impossible to leave the shelters on some day. And their diet had been reduced, and I'm sorry if anyone is eating or was thinking about eating. Uh, Their diet had been reduced. You told me to bring a snack. Well, yeah, I thought you might get hungry before we got to this part. They had been reduced to boiling and eating ox hides, which were described as, quote, disagreeable glue-like jelly. (laughs) Livestock bones were also boiled repeatedly to make soup, and they became so brittle that they would crumble upon chewing. Uh, uh. Bit by bit, the Murphy children picked apart the ox hide rug that laid in front of their fireplace and roasted it and ate it. Eventually, some of the families boiled and ate the ox hides that made up their cabin roofs and a number of other gross things. Uh, they ate mice. The single men were forced to find mice and eat them. Children got the ox hides, I guess. Yeah. Woof. So early on, uh, Spitzer, who was a murderer, if you remember, died. And then Bayless Williams, the albino driver for the Reeds, um, apparently went crazy, gave up, and also died. I mean, it's, this is what it's going to be like from here on out, guys. I don't know what to tell you. I, I get it. I would not. I would not handle that situation well. I would simply pass away. Yeah, we were when we were talking about The Last of Us. It's like if this happened, yeah. I think I would just accept my fate as a mushroom zombie. Like, yeah, I would just lay down, and that would be the end. 
Like, I, I don't have the survival instinct to fight that. Hard. On December 16th, more than a month after they were trapped, uh, this is actually my favorite part of the story. So enjoy. Uh, 15 of the strongest members, actually, I think it was 17 when they started, but uh, the strongest members of the Donner Party strapped on makeshift snowshoes made by Franklin Graves and tried to walk out of the mountains to find help. Oh, dear. This party would become known in history as the Forlorn Hope, which is also an old-timey military term for a suicide squad. Oh, boy. That's very dramatic. Harley Quinn was not present with them. Uh, The group consisted of Miwok guides Louis and Salvador, a random single man named Antonio, no last name, I guess, uh, Teamsters Charles Berger, who bitched out pretty early on, uh, Patrick Dolan, William Eddy, Franklin, Marianne, and Sarah Graves, Sarah's new husband, Jay Fostick, Sarah Foster, William Foster, Lemuel, and William Murphy. Uh, William also turned back early, probably because he was 10. That's that's a lot to deal with when you're 10 years old. Yep. Also with them was Amanda McCutcheon, Harriet Pike, and your man, Charles Stanton. <gasps> My hero. It, um, it didn't go well. Oh, dear. So I guess a spoiler to make this a little easier, like half of them did make it back to the settlement, but they had to do some shit to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so after wandering the frozen landscape for several days, battling leg cramps, freezing cold, rough terrain, snow blindness, which is when the UV rays bounce off of the light, the, the right. white snow. Yeah. It's also an issue on like Everest. Yeah, it, like burns your eyes, makes you nauseous. It causes you to go blind snow- and boredom. They also, it, it's so boring. <laughs> right. Like There's genuinely. Like, yeah. There's, yeah, I, I never, that never occurred to me. There would be nothing. They had planned on this taking six days, if you're not. Oh, well, that's optimistic. So yeah, after several days, they were left starving and on the verge of collapsing. And on December 21st, Charles Stanton pulled a, no, I'll catch up with you guys. Pulled oh, out no. his pipe. Charlie. Eventually passed away after crawling into a hollow tree stump, like the little gnome adventurer that he was. Oh, that's so sad. And the part... That had me crying is that I realized that he was only 5'5", and his legs were very short, and it made snowshoeing harder. But also, he was more affected by snow blindness because he was closer to the ground. (laughs) Why is that funny? It's just this little guy. Uh, Do you want to see a picture of Charles Stanton? I would love to see a picture of Charles Stanton. He was 32. 35, sorry. Oh, really? I was imagining him as, like, an old guy this whole time. Uh, yeah. Um, I think probably because he said he was short, and I was like, yes, like an old man. Wow, this, I found a picture that wasn't him, but it looks like Eddie Redmayne was also a member of the Donner Party. <laughs> oh, and this even has some little trivia about him, too. Um, so oh. you can go ahead and read the, the trivia about Charles Stanton that's on this uh, slide that I'm about to send you. What a haircut, Charles. Uh, it's a look. Charles Tyler Stanton, age 35, born Pompeii, New York, at 5'5", <laughs> was strong and determined bachelor. Passion for botany and geology. Oh. Regarded as a selfless hero with high moral standards. He was an entrepreneur in Chicago. He helped drive the Donner wagons. He went ahead to Sutter's Forest for supplies. He returned with Lewis and Salvador in mules, led forlorn hope over Donner Pass, became snowblind, exhausted, fell behind, last seen on December 20th. Died about 21st December, 1846, near Cascade Lake. Charles. R.I.P. Charles Stanton. He had been through that pass three times. 
Because he went to get the food, went back, and then with the forlorn, forlorn hope. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, and unfortunately, he was one of the only ones in the group had any idea of where they were going, so now the party was lost. Oh, dear. Charles, you couldn't have held on a little bit <laughs> If he hadn't died, literally, like, the next day or two, they came up to a ridge, and if they had gone over the ridge, they would have found a farm and, like, oh my God. stuff. But instead, they kept going, and, yeah. So, Oh, my God. Yep. Uh, after two more days without food, Patrick Dolan suggested one of them should volunteer to die so the others could eat them. Oh, boy. Here we go. I believe it was William Eddy who suggested a duel while someone suggested that they draw straws. And in one account, I heard that they did draw straws and Patrick Dolan drew the short straw. <laughs> yep. But William Eddy, who thank God, had some sense in him, suggested that they keep moving until someone died naturally, but a blizzard forced the group to camp, and uh, Antonio was the first to die, uh, with Franklin Graves going next. So, yeah, not a bad run for a 60-year-old. As Franklin Graves was uh, dying in his daughter's, uh, Marianne and Sarah's arms, Aww. he uh, advised his daughters to eat his body so that they might have the strength to keep going. Oh, boy. That's dark. Yep, and now for some comic relief. Uh, While they sat out the blizzard, on Christmas Day, Patrick Dolan stripped nude and ran away from the camp. (laughs) I mean, it's not funny, because clearly, like, something's going on. But, like, oh boy, just that mental image. They got him to come back, but he died a few hours later. And, um, fun fact... Uh, that is called paradoxical undressing, and it's common yes. in hypothermia cases. Um, essentially, it's like your body's last resort, and all of your blood vessels that had like constricted to draw blood to your core dilate, and your blood goes to the rest of your body, and you get very hot, which can cause a person to strip down. Yes, that's why if you ever hear like a missing disappearance in the woods of like, oh, this person like. It was cold, but their clothes were all taken off. Like, why would they take off their clothes if it was that cold? That's because paradoxical undressing happens. It's not weird. It's a thing. I think it happens in, like, over half of people with hypothermia. Mm -hmm. This is all on top of Lemuel Murphy allegedly losing his goddamn mind. This is a 13-year-old boy, incidentally. I mean, I would, too, to be fair. Uh, He found a mouse, which he ate, and then... To put it very simply, it caused his hunger to kick back in, which, like, broke his mind. Because when you don't eat for a few days, like, at first your brain is like, bitch, you gotta eat now. And then when you don't, it suppresses the feelings of hunger because Mm -hmm. it wasn't working. And then your body starts to, like, break itself down. But once you eat, it resets the clock. And, yeah, he lost it and he started attacking others. um, Allegedly gnawing on people's limbs, yelling, give me my bone. Oh, boy. Oh, dear. The rest of the group. Sands, William, Eddie, Lewis, and Salvador decided to eat Patrick Dolan. Well, the one who had suggested well. cannibalism in the first place. Yeah. The next morning, the group stripped the muscle and organs from the bodies of Antonio, Patrick Dolan, Franklin Graves, and Lemuel Murphy, who died in the night. Uh, they dried them to store for the days ahead, taking care to ensure nobody would have to eat his or her relatives. Um, they also removed the head, arms, and feet in an effort to make the meat look less human and make it easier to yeah. roast the organs. Yeah. You this is what you, you guys do. came here for. <laughs> you wanted this, you nasty little perverts. Well, I mean, to be fair, no one requested this. <laughs> no. We just, you know, we knew 
We knew we we're have to connected to our fans, and we knew that they would want a Donner Party episode. I knew I had to do it at some point, ever since I did the cannibalism episode, but, man. So, I guess before you judge them for eating each other so quickly, because they had been gone for, what, two weeks at this point? Like, not long enough to starve to death. uh, Two weeks without food is pretty dire. I personally am not judging anybody, I will say. They they had a little bit of of meat that they brought with them, um, but it wasn't it wasn't enough to last too long. Um, before you judge them for eating their friends and family, um, these people are trying to save their families, and they're sitting there watching their friends die from what they think is starvation, probably hypothermia, actually. Mm. And if they don't eat, all they'll have the strength to do is just sit there and try not to freeze until they also die. Yeah. So, like, yeah, a lot of these people have, like, young children and siblings and stuff back at camp. Like, they don't really have a choice. And they say they all have, like, nine children waiting for them to be safe. Yeah. yeah. After three days' rest, they set off again searching mm-hmm. for the trail. And William Eddy did eventually give out and ate human, um, but their supply ran out quickly because, as it turns out, when you're starving and weak, there's not a lot of good meat left on you. Yeah. Not a lot of meat on the bones. Yeah. Uh, so they began taking apart their snowshoes to eat the oxhide webbing, and William Foster hinted at killing Lewis and Salvador for food, because they weren't attached to anybody. Of course they would. Of course they would think that. Yeah, but William Eddy warned Lewis and Salvador, and they got the fuck out of camp, as they should have. Smart. Smart men. Yep. Uh, Jay Fostick died during the night, leaving only seven members of the party left. Uh, Foster then suggested killing the Graves sisters because they had no kids or husbands. Which, you know, does make you worthless as a human being. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I believe William Eddy also told him to shut the fuck up or he'd kill him. So, William Eddy coming through again. Good on William Eddy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like 28. He doesn't need this kind of stress so early in his life. <laughs> Eddie and Marianne Graves left to hunt, but when they returned with deer meat, the others, sans Sarah Graves, who wouldn't, for obvious reasons, had already started eating Jay Fostick. Jay Fostick was Sarah's husband. Uh, oh, oh. They had been married for, like, two weeks when they left. Uh, Sarah looked at this trip as her honeymoon. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's dark. I will admit that I did start to cry for real at that point in the story. Yeah. 25 days since they had left Truckee Lake, the group came across Salvador and Luis... Um, And it's debated whether or not the Miwoks were fine just hanging out there or if they were also dying of starvation. But William Foster definitely shot them in the head nonetheless. And they ate them. Lovely. William Foster was a piece of shit. Honestly. what a dick. Lots of just assholes in the story. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, you didn't have to do that, sir. Mm -hmm. Um, So just a few days later, the group came across an indigenous settlement. Uh, And they looked so bad that it actually scared the inhabitants out of the camp at first. Because they're, like, gaunt and pale and probably a little sunburnt, actually, now that I think about it. I was going to say, they probably look like complete ghouls. They'd eaten their shoes. (laughs) And their clothes were wet and rotting at that point. So they're just in tatters. Like, it's not good. But anyway, um... After everyone had settled down, the uh, the tribe gave them what food they could, acorns, grass, pine nuts, and the group finally slept in relative warmth and comfort for the first time in months. 
Um, After a few days, William Eddy continued on, with the help of a tribe member, to a ranch in a small farming community at the edge of the Sacramento Valley. A hurried... uh, A hurriedly assembled rescue party found the other six survivors on January 17th after following William Eddy's bloody footprints back to the settlement. (laughs) Oh, my God. Their journey from Truckee Lake had taken 33 days when it was supposed to have been six. 33 days. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Just, like, wandering in the cold, in the snow. So, of the five months the Donner Party spent trapped in the mountains, nearly half of it took place after they'd already been located and rescuers had been sent, because shit takes time and resources. Right, yeah. That's not obviously not an easy journey, otherwise they would have made it. Yeah. Uh, The first... So, this is, sorry, what month month are we in when they get rescued? Um, Late January, early February. Okay, wow. They got trapped on um, just after Halloween. The first relief parties reached the settlers in February of 1847, uh, but since pack animals were unable to navigate the snowdrifts, they only brought whatever food and supplies that they could carry. And by then, many of the immigrants were too weak to travel, and several died while trying to make the hike out. On March 1st, the second relief party arrived at Truckee Lake, and those rescuers included veteran mountain men, most notably a man named John Turner, who accompanied James Reed and Bill McCutcheon, who are still alive and well and still trying to get I their families. I was going to say, James Reed's still kicking, huh? Yeah, he's a dick, but, like, he pulled through. I think he was just arrogant. I think that was my problem. Yeah. And, and even with him killing John Snyder, like... Not great, but also they'd been on the trail together for several months. They were starving, they were lost, and he snapped. So, yeah. Again, not forgiven, but excuses. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, Reed was united with his daughter and son. Um, so, that's nice. Both of his kids lived. An inspection of the Breen cabin found its occupants relatively well. <laughs> but the Murphy cabin, quote, Past the limits of description and almost of imagination. Oh, boy. Lavina Murphy was caring for her eight-year-old son, Simon, and the two young children of William Eddy and uh, Foster. She had deteriorated mentally and was nearly blind. This woman's 37. Oh, God. I uh, was nearly blind, and the children were listless and had not been cleaned in days. Uh, Louis Kesselberg had moved into the cabin and could barely move due to an injured leg. You know, I don't know what happened to Louis Kesselberg's wife and his daughter. Imagine nothing great. I know his daughter died, but I don't know what happened to his wife. He was allegedly a, a uh, abuser, so, like, I don't, like, whatever happened to her was probably better. After yeah. this. This was not good. Like, I, Anyway, so no one at Truckee Lake had died during the interim between the departure of the first and the arrival of the second relief party. Good for them. Huh. Wow. Yeah. I'm assuming they uh, also... Well, yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. Um, it's less well documented. <laughs> right. Uh, Patrick Breen documented a disturbing visit in the last week of February from Lavina Murphy, who said her family was considering eating Milt Elliott, a teamster. Reed and McCutcheon <laughs> found Elliott's mutilated body near the Murphy cabin. Oh, boy. Uh, the Alder Creek camp where the Donners were fared no better. The first two members of the relief party to reach it saw one of the survivors carrying a human leg. Uh, when the rescuers made their presence known, the survivor threw it in a hole in the snow that contained the mostly dismembered body of Jacob Donner. (sighs) Inside the tent, Elizabeth Donner refused to eat, although there was evidence that she had fed her children their uncle's organs. 
Well, the rest I mean, yeah, I would feed my kids. <laughs> like, even if I couldn't bring myself to, I would probably make my kids do it. Yeah, let's traumatize them for life. Sure. But they'll be alive. <laughs> well, um, the rescuers discovered three other bodies that looked like they had been consumed at some point. In the other tent, Tamsin Donner was relatively fine, but George was very ill because the cut on his hand had been infected and the illness had crept up to his shoulder. This bitch was still alive. <laughs> uh, the second, and this one, it's, it's about to get really rough again, so just heads up. Oh, God. Um, the second relief rescued 17 emigrants from Truckee Lake, only three of whom were adults. The rest were children, uh, which left only five people at Truckee Lake. Louis Kesseberg, Lavina Murphy, and her son Simon, the youngest, Eddie, and foster children. Uh, Tamsin Donner elected to stay with her husband after Reed informed her that a third relief party would arrive soon. Tamsin would not leave George Donner. Despite him making dumb fucking decisions... <laughs> She stood by her man. That's loyalty, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Uh, despite having supplies and stronger men to help lead them, the walk back to the base was still very long and hard and not at all helped by the fact that the survivors were incredibly weak and could barely yeah. walk. I can't even imagine. Oh, yeah. At one point, James Reed sent two men ahead to retrieve a cache of food that he'd left, expecting the third relief to come and like uh, pass them at any moment. A violent blizzard arose after they'd scaled the pass. Uh, five-year-old Isaac Donner froze to death, and James Reed also nearly died. Oh, my God. Mary Donner's feet were badly burned because they were so frostbitten that she didn't realize that she was sleeping with them in the fire. Holy shit. When the storm passed, the Breen and Graves children were too exhausted to get up and move, having not eaten for days. Um, the relief party had no choice but to leave one adult with them. I believe Margaret, or Elizabeth Graves, sorry. No, Margaret Breen. God, so many people. Uh, so Margaret Breen was left the kids and the rest of the party of adults headed down to the farm for more help. The site where the group was left behind became known as Starved Camp. So do we know what happened to them? Yep. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Okay. Uh, Margaret Breen reportedly took the initiative to try to keep the members of the camp alive. Soon, however, Elizabeth Graves and her son Franklin died before the next rescue party could reach them, and the party resorted to eating the dead in order to survive. Oh, An geez. act that was apparently suggested by four-year-old Eliza Donner, who had already eaten her uncle and possibly others. <sighs> God, I can't imagine how much that would mess with your head at, like, age four. Oh, yeah. Um, I believe one of the grave survivors said that she couldn't cry anymore. Like, physically couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I get that. <laughs> It's, but it's going to get a little bit better. I hope uh, perhaps, so. <laughs> uh, perhaps the most famous of the Donner Party's rescuers was a man named John Stark, a burly California settler who took part in the Third Relief Party. In early March of 1847, he and two other rescuers found Starved Camp. And while the others kind of just wanted to leave this pack of cannibal children to the snow, <laughs> uh, John Stark and two others stepped up. Uh, Stark was unwilling to leave anyone behind, so while the others took a child each and headed back down the mountain, instead he rallied the adults, gathered the rest of the children, and began guiding the group single-handedly. Most of the kids were too weak to walk, so Stark took to carrying two of them at a time for a few yards, oh setting them God. down and going back for the others. Oh my god. And he continued this process all the way down the mountain and eventually led all nine of the kids to safety. Oh, my God. 
He's a he's a good dude. That's amazing. I love that story. Speaking of the incident years later, one of the survivors, one of the Donners, I think, uh, credited her rescue to, quote, nobody but God and Stark and the Virgin Mary. <laughs> and now we get rough again. Uh, the last to be rescued was Louis Kesseberg, who was found in April of 1847 by the Fourth Relief, who wasn't really going back to save more people. They were going back to get the shit. Jeez. What happened to the Third Relief? Did they just never make it through because of the blizzard? No, the Third Relief was the... Oh, John they, Stark. they stopped at the camp. Okay, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. The, there were only five people left at the camp for the Fourth Relief to go get. Tamsin Donner, George Donner, Louis Kesseberg, um, Lavina Murphy, and her son Simon, both of whom I think died. Lavina Murphy was not coming out of that good anyways. Um, so yes, uh, Louis Kesseberg was supposedly found half mad and surrounded by the cannibalized bodies of his former companions. He was later accused of having murdered the other emigrants, including um, a one-year-old foster boy, foster the family, not like they were fostering oh, a boy, yeah. uh, one-year-old foster boy, uh, Tamsin and George Donner for use as food. But the charges were never proven, despite some of the rescuers claiming that Kesseberg had outright admitted to eating the Donners, included, including boiling George Donner's brains in a pot. But did he admit to eating them or to killing them? Eating them. Different things. He allegedly admitted to eating them. Yeah. And they did find George Donner's brains in said pot. Oh, boy. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, that's the thing is, like, you're relying a lot on, like, accounts of people. And people can lie. People can remember incorrectly. People can exaggerate. Yeah. Not to um, say that, like, anyone intentionally did any of those things. Except lying, I guess, is pretty Kesselberg's story but, yeah. actually really bummed me out. Um so he tried to sue one of his rescuers for allegedly making defamatory statements, and he won, but was only awarded $1 and oh, still geez. had to pay the court fees. Uh, he That's was never depressing. charged for any crimes. Yeah. Uh, George Foster did attempt to follow up on a promise he'd made after finding Kesseberg with his toddler's body um, mm. to kill Kesseberg if their paths ever crossed again but was convinced otherwise by fellow survivor James Reed, despite Kesseberg being the one who suggested hanging Reed back on the trail. Huh. Yeah. Um, the what, what happened to Kesseberg, who's the one I looked into the most because I was curious, um, I guess he, his wife did survive, his kids did not, and he eventually had, like, nine other children, um, and he ended up dying penniless in a poorhouse. Wow. Yeah. Didn't really go well for him after that. No. Um, some of them, like, went and had pretty normal lives in California. The graves were just, like, cursed. Oh, God. What happened to the graves? Well, Franklin and Elizabeth both died, and another one of them. And then uh, Sarah married another man in California who was lynched for stealing a mule, like, Yikes. two years later. And was she married- the one who had gotten married, like, two weeks before she left, or was that a different yeah. Sarah? Yeah. No, that okay. was the same Sarah. Um, and then Mary Ann, her husband was murdered. Jeez. Um, I don't know what happened to the rest of the, the graves, but they lost a lot. Yeah. It was not like a great time no. in history. And they were in like the West, which is, you know, also kind of rough. Yeah. So of the, I don't know if this is the right number again, of the 81 pioneers who began the Donner Party's winter in the Sierra Nevada, only 45 left. Um, it prevented. Proved particularly bad for the Forlorn Hope, uh, all but two of whom died. Uh, Wait, no. 
all but two. No, seven of those bitches made it out. God, this is the part where I started to lose my mind, I think. <laughs> Pulling a real Kesselberg. Um Yeah, George and Jacob Donner, both of their wives, four of their kids all died. The Gray's family lost both parents, a brother and a brother-in-law. William Eddy uh, lost his wife and his two kids. And yeah, nearly a dozen families made up the Donner wagon train, but only two the Reeds and the Breens managed to arrive in California without suffering a single casualty. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised as many people made it out as they did, considering how bad that situation was. Uh, I'm like the Breens had nine kids, so that's really impressive. Yeah, um, and Margaret Reed, uh, she was a badass lady. She uh-huh. she she did her part when uh, her husband had been banished. So. That's the story of the Donner Party. I think, like, I didn't realize when I started that it was that many people. It was all just kind of, like, conceptual, I guess. Like, ah, yes, and people had to eat each other because there was too much snow. But, like, everything that, like, led up to it, it was was just one thing building off of another. Because if, like, they hadn't taken the cutoff, they would have been fine. If they hadn't been, you know, had a bunch of their ox killed, they would have been fine. Like... If they hadn't had to stop and, like, bury that old lady at the beginning, maybe they would have been fine. Like, all of the stuff that delayed them, if they had gone through that pass, like, two days earlier, they would have been fine. That was a good little monologue you did. Thank you. It is, I feel like all the worst stories are like that, where it isn't just one bad thing, it's, like, every bad thing. Yeah, and... For the most part, like, a lot of wagon trains arrived in California and Oregon just fine. It's just, these are the ones you hear about. Um, Let's wrap it up so I can go play with Legos. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I think you deserve a little uh, mind break (laughs) after that one. Do you remember the spiel? Oh, God. Okay. Um, Well, we have some vague announcements. Um, we have some new merch that will be coming out in the next couple weeks featuring our new uh, cover art, courtesy Yay. of Sarah. Um, very excited about that. If you guys have any requests for items that you would like the merch to be, just, I don't know, let us know. Um, you're the ones who are buying it. See, remember to rate, subscribe, rev- oh, nope, 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 there's a part, there's a part before that. Um. <laughs> it's been a long time since we've had to do this, guys. We didn't even do it on the Christmas episode. Uh, <laughs> we are on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoonified. You can find us at getafternoonified.com um, or afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com if you would like to send in any suggestions, uh, corrections. Tell me how many people were actually in the Donner Party, because clearly I don't know. Episode suggestions are also welcome, and then remember to rate, subscribe, and review, and we will see you guys next time for hopefully less of an intense story. <laughs> I think I have lost Sarah again. All right, guys, goodbye. And Sarah, just do do your thing. If you're listening to this later, and I've gone back to the recording and Sarah actually did cut out, um, we've been having some audio issues. So in case Sarah couldn't say it, goodbye. We love you. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.